Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer, life in the times of the coronavirus. We could make a really good episode of a daytime soap opera with all of this, couldn't we? But I'm not going to. I'm going to continue with the podcast. How are you today? My name is Sarah Bueno, and I'll be your host. I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago, as well as a professor and student of NARM, Neuroeffective Relational Model. I sing. I do a lot of stuff. But podcasting is one of my favorite things to do, which is why I'm so happy that you're here with me. I wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded well before we got into coronavirus life, so there will be no mention of coronavirus during this episode, and it's not because we are just neglecting what's actually happening in the world. It hadn't happened yet, or at least we weren't aware of it. Someone was aware of it, but didn't do anything about it. <laughs> I digress. Anyway, one of the things I wanted to share with you today is we have a Patreon account. And Patreon is a place where you can go, you can support artists and podcasters and people doing really cool stuff in the world. And I would be honored if you would be willing to financially support this podcast. You can donate as little as $1 a month. And even that donation, even though it might seem like, what does that do? It's really, really helpful because we're all out here kind of struggling right now and so every little bit helps and also to just so you know even if you don't donate i appreciate you and think that you're a wonderful human just for being here just for being you so let me get on to today's guest because i'm really 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 excited to share this interview with you so in 2018, Nate Postalweight sold almost everything he owned, left a lucrative career, and boarded a plane for Croatia. He traveled internationally for six months while sharing his story of overcoming complex trauma, his battle with addiction, and eventually coming out as gay. The story exposes the vulnerabilities many of us feel but are afraid to say out loud. Several thousand people are following along, and a community of survivors are finding solace amongst others who know their pain. I think you're really, really going to dig this interview with Nate. I am just so happy to have connected with him and to be able to call him a friend. So please enjoy my interview with Nate Postalweight. Hi, Nate. Hey there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. I love when I find new folks on Instagram and then they tell me it's an honor. I'm like, no, 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 but no, I've been following you for a long time. It's an honor for me to have you here. <laughs> well, then it goes both ways. Yay. Mutual admiration. That's how we like to roll on this podcast. Great. Yeah. So I found you on Instagram and you are at the other side of saved. Correct. On Instagram. And I started following you. I, I can't even remember what it was. You probably came up with the hashtag that I followed at some point. And I was just like, I don't like what this friend has to say. And then just kept following you. And then, and now I can't remember how we started this conversation, but you had posted something about trauma. Oh, it was about not telling people this is, you know, something that's meant to be to make you stronger. Right. And I was like, yes. And at some point that might be how they feel too. And I was like, let's talk about that on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so before we dig into all of that stuff, would you mind telling listeners more about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I just started this whole journey of sharing my story a little over a year ago. And I had been in a career that was very demanding for about 13 years. 
It was adventurous. It took me from Nashville to San Diego, Hmm. Denver. I was part owner of a couple of different real estate brokerages and ended my career selling real estate. But through that time, I was pretty unhappy for the whole Hmm. years. And the highlights for my big life transition were coming out as gay in Mm -hmm. 2016 after 20 years of some touch and go versions of conversion therapy. Mm. turning 40 the next year and then looking around at my life and saying, yeah, I don't like what I've built here. This does not the freedom that's going on inside of me. And so I started this plan in September of 2017 to wrap up my career, sell all of my belongings and go travel and start sharing my story because I felt like I had entered therapy at 18 years old and life had always had this kind of private layer of depth and understanding about trauma and pain. And yet my external self was about success and making people laugh and keeping up this facade that was going to cost me a lot more over time. So I started a blog and a podcast just sharing my story. And at the time, I thought that it was more about the freedom of coming out later on in life and being able to look at your surroundings and saying, this is so important to be your authentic self. And what really has come from that has been this platform discussing trauma and healing. Couldn't be more grateful for that, to have a voice that's speaking to other people and encouraging them with words that are able to reach them and say, I know that darkness, I know mm-hmm. that I know that isolation, I know that feeling of being a scapegoat, I know that hopelessness. And it's a gift, man. It's it's just, just a huge honor to feel like people wanted to follow the story. And then I hear from people on a daily basis saying, this is how your story has impacted me. And right. it's really humbling because I think that people make this assumption that like, I've just been writing for 20 years and public speaking for 20 years, mm. my little project. And that's, that's not the case. I mean, I'm, I'm new to this and want to keep it authentic and organic where people yeah. feel connected to the story because it's honest. And that's why I reached out to you, because frankly, we see people with stories like yours, not just like yours, but, you know, stories of addiction and X, Y, Z. We see it all the time. The level of authenticity that you somehow energetically generate that's what drew me in, in particular, because I think sometimes people are putting themselves on a platform from a place of ego and a place of needing that attention. But when your mission was, I need to share my pain because this might save somebody else's life. I mean, that's really what I hear. Yeah, that's a huge compliment. I will, I'll say this, when you live in the like diehard, traditional evangelical culture your entire life, and Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to express your sexuality and you Mm -hmm. live in the closet and you suffer greatly. I mean, the the suffering that went on with that, when you have your moment, your epiphany and your awareness of, I have the freedom to live my life and actually experience pleasure and joy that I've been in and it's going to send me to hell. Something comes alive in you that is so unapologetic. I mean, my coming out has so little to do with sexuality. The sexuality is so small on the scale of the freedom of just not feeling the internal anguish anymore, of feeling like I have to live with duality every single day of presenting someone else. And so I think the authentic piece comes from being really unapologetic about where I'm at in my life. And anytime I hear from someone who 
participates and is still committed to the same religion that does me harm, I just give them their words back. And I'm just, I'm just not interested. I, and, and I'm baffled that you could read my story or hear all of these other stories of so many people who have been so incredibly hurt by a religion that you participate in. And then you want to share like another different version or opinion that we may have misunderstood. I have a lot of clarity about the authenticity. I get confused when someone share. I don't like being confused in communication. So mm. I've often found that when someone sends me a message or someone's communicating and I have to reread it over and over and over, it's not my job to figure out what they're trying to say. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There's some confusion going on there <laughs> and I just don't have the capacity to figure out what that means. With that, anytime someone is authentic, no matter how painful the message is, it feels secure yeah. to read those words. No matter how horrific and how traumatic, if it's authentic, right. it's real soothing to me because it's true. And I think too, when we're rooted in connection to ourselves rather than desire for something to happen, that's when we're most authentic. It's that real truth within oneself. Like you said, you just, there was this confidence, this, you were just like, mm, I got this. <laughs> yeah. I think too, like with all of the inner child work and younger self work, there's mm. no way I'm going to let my 13 year old self or six year old self down. I have paid my dues to ignorance and unconsciousness, mm. and I will not do it another day. I just won't do it. We are waking up, my friend. <laughs> well, let's dig into some of that history that, that you'd be willing to share with listeners. So I'm curious, you know, I, I grew up religious myself, though not evangelical. I feel like evangelical is a whole nother level of shame heaped on top of religion. So at what age did you start looking around and going, hmm, I don't know if this is for me because I don't know if they like the real me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I had this really confusing naivety that held me there for a long time. Mm. I stopped going to church and participating in church probably in my early 30s. I just, I felt like something was wrong with me, but I would go to church mm. and felt like I was having to disconnect with myself in order to participate yeah. in what I was hearing and understanding. And I would leave angry often. Ooh. And I still thought that it was just something wrong with me and I would church hop and I would do community mm. groups. And I think even hearing the language, there's an entire language that you speak when you're an evangelical Christian, like the he's anointed, called to ministry, mm. plan, like all of this stuff that just over time I was like, yeah, I can't fit any of this into my world. I'm barely surviving right now. And I think that it was just over a decade that I had a nervous breakdown. And that was the first time in my life I looked at religion and I looked at everything that I knew and understood about Christianity and it was not reaching me at all. And I was mm. trying so much harder to do what it took to heal what was going on inside of me and everything that I'd ever been taught about prayer and Bible verses and memorizing Bible verses and Christian community, it just, it wasn't reaching anything. And I wish someone at that point had said, your brain is altered from so much trauma and we need to have you medicated. We need to have you with a professional who's not telling you, you know, to pray harder and connect harder with God. Like this is very serious. What's going on with your brain and your body that began my journey through trauma work. And when you're starting to do trauma work and your entire 
being has been invested in being a Christian and that being your identity, the two start to collide. Yeah. You, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I got to a place where I was like, okay, I'm doing EMDR. I'm having my brain heal and I'm feeling so much better. And this had nothing to do with prayer. This had to do with the fact that my brain has marked this really traumatic event. So I would say that the seeking mental help was probably the help and health. Mm-hmm. My first step to looking at religion as a whole, just saying, yeah, I don't, I don't know that this is the right fit for where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. And it's denial really is, is what that mechanism is, right? That this is what you're told your whole life. The system is denying a lot of people's reality, right? Like for some people that does work and they can live lovely, wonderful lives. But when you're asked to, like you said earlier, disconnect from yourself, you're living a lie and you're expected to participate in the lie. And at some point your body pushes back, which it sounds like that was what you're calling the nervous breakdown, right? Yeah, that was after 13 years of therapy. And tell me about like conversion therapy, honestly, is the most horror movie type situation I can think of. Psychological torture is, I think, way worse than physical torture. And so I'm really curious what the fuck happened there. You can cuss on here, by the way. (laughs) I forgot to tell you. (laughs) Great. Um, Well, that's fucking phenomenal because let me tell you, I am mad about conversion therapy. So when I'm writing, I've got 16 posts on my blog and podcast. And the conversion therapy piece, I would have to stand up in my kitchen and my hands would shake severely and I could not catch my breath that I would have to pace back and forth in my home Mm. to calm down because I would get so angry about the words that I was writing about what they did. Mm -hmm. I was 19 and my entire introduction to conversion therapy was through, I was a missionary with YWAM. I was, you know, out to please God and hopefully escape what I felt going on inside of me, which was so much confusion. Right. Let me back up and and address this one piece because I think this is incredibly important. There was mounds of sexual abuse in my childhood, but Mm -hmm. but he said that sexual abuse was from 12 to 14 and he was 36 years old. Was he in the church? He was not. Complete, Complete stranger, very bizarre situation. But this is what really angers me is in this particular situation, When I was on the mission field, it was the first time I had been in a safe environment where I went to bed at the same time every night and woke up at the same time every morning. There wasn't a lot of chaos. There was structure. And that was really good for me. But because I'd never had that, things came to the surface really quickly. (laughs) Right. When the mind quiets, things bounce back. And Mm -hmm. truly, I had never had experiences like that in my life before. So Mm. I grew up in complete and total chaos. Mm-hmm. So I shared with my dorm dad what had happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my in God. And, you know, you're, you're already so confused about sexuality and sexual mm-hmm. abuse. And his response was that I needed to repent for being involved in sexual <gasps> No, fuck that shit. Yeah. So you've got this incredibly Ugh. vulnerable 18 year old who is thinking that it was probably his fault on some level, right. all sexual abuse victims believe. Like mm-hmm. we're not made with a language or a default mentality that says, well, there's no way this was my fault. This was really inappropriate. That's not how mm. it works. To make sense of it, we have to believe that we somehow wanted it or created it. 
Right. That really primed me to then move right into conversion therapy, which my parents were very adamant that this is your next step. And so my experience was going through the Exodus conferences, every book, every workbook, the weekly support group, even the conversion therapy camp in Memphis, Love in Action. I went there briefly and ended up, I mean, luckily they did not accept me into their program, but just a few days that I was there, the damage that they did from the psychiatric evaluations, the stuff that they wrote on paper to destroy your mind and just tear you apart. So I don't want to spoil the end of, of the piece <laughs> that I wrote on conversion therapy. Go check it out. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Great plugged for the website. Love it. Yeah, but here's the kicker that I want people to understand about conversion therapy in the Christian culture. This is a beef that I really have. The guy who led that conversion therapy camp, Love in Action, he was pivotal in a lot of the damage that was done to me the day mm-hmm. that I was there. And after Love and Action was closed by the feds because of an investigation, mm-hmm. and they were found guilty of so many things, it shut down. Well, then the guy who led the program comes out as gay. And the gay Christian culture has fully embraced him and said, oh my gosh, you're forgiven. We're bringing you in whatever. And this this is the issue that I have is... First of all, no one has Mm. the right to forgive him on our behalf. No one. You're right. There are 700,000 people that have gone through conversion therapy. And and even I was invited to do a specific interview on a podcast with this lady whose son is gay and she's got this huge voice in the gay Christian culture Hmm. posting her support of his writings. And I challenged her and I said, what are you doing? Like, wow. do you understand? And she was like, everybody deserves forgiveness. And I was like, but it's not your place. Right. You're not the one who gets to forgive. Yes. And it had your son ever been in that program, you'd look at this completely different. This is not a religious issue. And him coming out as gay is the same thing that Kevin Spacey did. Kevin Spacey got mm-hmm. caught abusing, molesting a young boy And his career was completely over. This guy has abused people through love and action for years. Him being involved in love and action and causing all of this damage has nothing to do with being gay. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's just like when people say like, oh, gay people are child molesters. No, 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 no. Child molesters are child molesters. Molesting a child has nothing to do with nothing to do. No control. Exactly. So I think that, that that too has been very disheartening for, for this platform to be built and just see people like that particular situation. I'm just like, you are legitimately promoting someone's work who has done so much harm right in right. front of your face, you know, still not aware of, of what that means and what that's doing. And it's it's spiritual bypass because that ugh, that's what we talk about so much in like in the trauma treatment world is you can't just skip over to forgiveness you can't just skip over to the healing part you've got to go through the messy shit that you're talking about these breakdowns we have to go through the breakdown in order to get to the other side i've said this multiple times that forgiveness is not a tool to heal trauma it's it's not yeah. like it, forgiveness is an escape oftentimes to say i gave this to the lord well the Lord doesn't have access to your brain. And so you, if that trauma is in your brain, that has to be rewired and that has to be worked on. And there's been this promotion of forgiveness being this really brave act. And I think that forgiveness is wonderful and beautiful and clean and pure. 
but it has its place in time. And I think that it's being misused quite a bit, especially within the Christian culture. Well, I think forgiveness is a product of doing the work. It's not something you decide to do. It's something that arrives. Yes, could not agree more. Yeah. And I think also, too, there are layers of forgiveness. It's just like layers of the trauma, right? As we as we continue to dig in 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 different ways, like my parents die in 2014. And one of the things that I had told myself was, you know, in order to move on and, and whatnot, I would need to forgive because I had a, you know, definitely not dramatically traumatic childhood, but the bubbling under the surface trauma that nobody would know about that's so fucked up just because nobody can point a finger at it. And after they died, I went to a retreat and I experienced some forgiveness based on some of the work that I was doing. And then now almost six years later, I'm digging back into my trauma and I'm getting mad for the first time because I wasn't really mad before. I was just hurt. And I was, I felt more like an entitlement of why didn't you give me what I deserved? And now I'm experiencing that depth of of anger that is justified based on somebody hurting you for a lot of years. Well, and then losing them in the same year. I mean, that's pretty traumatic itself to know that those relationships are gone at the same time. That I mean, that grief had to have been overwhelming. It was really fascinating. And for me, it created space for a spiritual awakening of sorts because I couldn't, I couldn't not believe that there was a reason for that. You know, and that kind of comes back to the the question at the beginning. So the way that it made me feel better to move through the world was believing that they had to die in the same year because there's something important in that for me. And what I've really thought about since seeing your post is really the importance of not telling someone that. Like if you believe that for you, awesome. But if you're going around telling people like, oh, this is going to make sense later. This is for your greatest good. Like nobody fucking needs to hear that. They get to decide that when that comes to them, if that comes to them. Right. I think you're talking about like one of the posts that I put up that it angers me when I hear people constantly say things like everything happens for a reason. No, it does not. <laughs> like that is mm-hmm. that's just not true. And that's, that's one of the things that I posted was everything doesn't happen for a reason. Everything happens because people do things every day. And sometimes those things are really harmful to other people. And we have to, yeah. and there wasn't a reason for that. It's not to make you stronger. It's not because mm-hmm. God had a plan. It's because what they did was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And it's very unfortunate that you have to pay for that. But overcoming is then our responsibility based on what someone else has done. Right. Your trauma is not your responsibility, but your healing is. Yeah. When you say awakening, I think about the consciousness is such a huge thing for me at this point in my life. Mm. I think of how long I was unaware of what I was carrying inside of my body. Yeah. What I was committed to while I was denying myself. And so you get to this place where people are making unconscious remarks every single day. And it's really difficult to recognize how much of the world walks around and is participating in their own lack of awareness. And and, and that was me. I mean, that was me. I was completely mm-hmm. on the wrong track for most of my life, which is very painful. Right. And I would say as a therapist, wrong is a strong word because I feel like the more we step out of the binary and the more that we recognize that you were acting in that way to fucking survive, not because you were doing it wrong, just because you hadn't been really shown a way to do it differently until you couldn't 
make <laughs> another choice. You you either would choose death or I'm going to fucking heal this shit. Right. And it really was. I mean, I, I think that coming out was like the last piece that was after no joke, like 300 hours of intensive trauma therapy with mm. MDR intensives and outpatient treatment centers. And, but I think that the coming out piece was kind of the grand finale of, okay, I'm done with this really intense mm. thing and being miserable. I just, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And I'm curious when you're in the midst of experiencing this nervous breakdown, who helped you get help? Sadly, I don't have a single individual. My world was full of men's Bible studies and Christian therapy. And during that time, I saw my therapist every Wednesday at one o'clock and I would just hang on for those appointments. Mm. And in the course of the breakdown happened in December and I did not seek treatment until October. Oh my God, how painful. And during that 10 months, every week, my therapist was giving me more Bible verses to memorize. And oh, it, fuck. it was horrific. I mean, it was really horrific. And at the same time, I walked away from a business that I owned and just turned to my partners and said, I'm out. Walked away from my role. I closed the curtains in my home. I hid. Mm. My anxiety was so severe that I couldn't drive during the daytime. I had moments where I did drive during the day and would often get stuck in a parking lot with my hands shaking so bad because there were so many people and so much movement. I, I gained 50 pounds. I accrued an enormous amount of debt because I just I stopped living. And I wanted time to sit still so that I could process what was going on because what was happening was mm -hmm. truth was coming at me at a speed that I could not process. And that mm -hmm. truth said, hey, you are on the wrong path and you are not getting better. This 13 years of therapy is still not addressing mm -hmm. the trauma done to you. And I couldn't process that at the time. And so finally, actually the moment was in a parking lot, my hands were, were shaking so bad I couldn't put the key in the ignition and I was mm. surrounded by people, which made me very anxious. I wanted quiet as much as possible. And I reached out to a friend of mine who was a doctor and I said, I need a prescription for something with anxiety mm. right away. I like physically my body, I just, I can't go on. Mm -hmm. And then I found an outpatient center myself, took it to my therapist and my therapist said, well, let me call them and check into it first. And I just, I remember saying to him, I was like, I don't know what you need to check into, but I'm going. <laughs> yes. That was the first spark of life. Wow. And I have to tell you that even with that therapist to this day, frustrated that he ever told me that my sexuality was not allowed. I'm frustrated that he told me that, you know, God's best was not for me being gay and that God wanted to heal all of that. Like I'm frustrated by all that. But what really infuriates me is that for 10 months, every Wednesday, this broken, desperate man would have done anything for help. And not once outside of prayer or Bible verses did he ever suggest that he did not have the tools necessary to help. That honestly, more than anything else, is what really infuriates me that that mm -hmm. kind of fearlessness, it could have cost me my life. And it, that reality yeah. almost happened. It is negligence and not that I'm advising you to take legal action, but I didn't read the article, but I saw somewhere someone was posting an article about 
Christian therapists being negligent and not following our code of ethics as therapists and putting their religion over the code of ethics, which but this is the perfect example of how fucking dangerous that is. It's dangerous and it's, it's just ignorant. It's really ignorant. And by the way, I can't report him because he's not licensed. <laughs> what? Yeah. And, he, and this was 10 years ago. And at the time he was $200 an hour and had a waiting list. Then you can especially report him because he was practicing without a license. I can't even. Well, now he's a coach and he's not a, he's not a therapist. But the thing is, is that I started working with him when I was, I think, 23 years old. And I signed a waiver stating that I understood that he wasn't licensed. That doesn't fucking matter. You don't know what you're signing. It's no, I'm sorry. I'm like, I am so into like protecting people from abuse from therapists. I am so mad right now. I can't even tell you. It's just unnecessary. It's fucking ego. It's ego bullshit. How dare he? That was my awakening that I went to that outpatient center in November of that year and I came home and I looked around and I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm, I didn't want to be in the South anymore. I didn't want to be, there were a lot of relationships I needed to get away from. And there was just a lot that I felt like I needed to see. And then as soon as I moved at that point, I moved to San Diego and that's when I began doing EMDR. And that became kind of a, a lifeline to really start to reprocess a lot of the trauma. Wow. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this word now, but I want to say what a miracle that was that you had the capacity at that point. Because what what I'm hearing you describe is your nervous system was so dysregulated. You were just a raw nerve. And that's why you couldn't tolerate being with other people. There's just literally too much stimulation. And, and we can't process when we're in that state. So the fact that you somehow like crawled out of that to find yourself someplace to go is truly incredible. At that outpatient center, I remember the therapist giving me her card like on day one and it said her name and then it was like comma LCSW, comma LMFT, comma EMDR, comma. I mean, Mm. so many credentials after her name. Mm -hmm. And that means way more to me now than it did then. I mean, honestly, after 13 years of therapy, I never actually had positive impact in therapy until I saw a professional. Well, because you weren't in therapy. This guy just fucking lied. (laughs) You were just talking to like a spiritual advisor. Right. Who was pretty disconnected. So that was my first drop in the bucket of you have a lot of potential if you get the right help. Like if you get real professional help, You've got a lot of potential to heal. And Mm -hmm. I've never stopped since. That's been my life the last Mm. decade. It's interesting how I think whenever we are forced into healing by whether it be, you know, this nervous breakdown or addiction or something else painful that happens, I really, really believe that like you really do have something to offer this world. And that's the universe going, hey, friend, you got shit to do. Let's go this way. And listen, I want to normalize that. I want, like, I'm amazed at how much shame people carry after experiencing such horrific trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. I say people as if that were right. right. It's like I, I think about the amount of shame. It could have been like a soft breeze to tell me this was all your fault. That's all it took. I believed everything was my fault, all of it. And so I think that what I want to normalize when we talk about these things is when someone says, hey, but I'm a binge eater. I have to take medication for this. I'm now, I'm addicted to this. It's just like, 
Of course you are. Of course, exactly. More survival. Everyone who had that particular scenario ends up in a very similar situation. That is very, very normal. Is it healthy? No. But once the trauma is addressed, it makes such a huge impact. And I think that that's another big thing for me is I went to a lot of programs and different things that were addressing symptoms and not the problem. And I also had a problem with that where it's like, look, when you address trauma at the root, good stuff happens. Life changes and things become manageable in incredible ways. Yeah. The phrase is trauma is a normal response to an abnormal situation. Yes. Well, what you just said is a great segue into the question of whether or not you would consider yourself a healer. (laughs) (laughs) He laughs. (laughs) I think that's probably the greatest compliment. There's such a misperception that I think people have about my life, like, you know, where I've been, what I present to the world, what I've been known for success and humor and these different things. And Mm -hmm. beneath that was this person who felt so worthless, so Mm -hmm. out of place and so lost and so apologetic about who he was. And now all I'm doing is sharing my story and the parts that have become truth for me or the parts that I'm trying to make truth for me. And to see other people respond to that and find comfort in that is a gift. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time putting words around and I don't ever want to lose that focus because even in this scenario, because the following has grown so quickly and other people have come along and supported it and and sent people my way. And I'm I'm grateful for that. But even in that, there's this mentality that people want to idolize someone and say Mm -hmm. this and this, I don't want that. Right. I want to empower other people to do their work, not be dependent on mine. Right. Yeah. As soon as you get any sort of platform, there's just so much that's projected onto you. And that happens with clients too. Like clients will be like, oh, you know, you did this. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, friend, like I'll just ask the right questions. I mean, this is a relationship. And so, yes, I'm helping you, but it's not all me, you know? And I think when people are so hungry for the truth, right, the authentic realness And when they're presented with that for the first time, then there's this assumption that like, oh, you and I are something special because of what we do or what we say. It's like, no, no, no. A lot of people are saying this. You just happen to come into my office. (laughs) Well, and listen, I mean, the truth is I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story and that it's helping Mm -hmm. people. But at the end of the day, we need to be hearing stories from Black trans women. They know pain and they know suffering and isolation And their stories are just now starting to be told. And I was just thinking that with, I think our culture wants to, needs to see something more on TV before they're ready to see it in real life. Yeah. And now we've got Pose and RuPaul's new show. Like people are finally starting to see some of this. Yeah. Agreed. And it's really, Mm -hmm. I think just making humanity come to the forefront with an understanding that each person has the same emotions, like each yes. person has the same potential, each person has the same, but but they don't have the same opportunities. Yes. Just truly trying to get people to understand mm-hmm. how connected we are as a culture when we still have these really bizarre hierarchies and, and levels and layers of, you know, who's who. And listen, I am a broken man who's learning to put himself back together from a lot of trauma. I don't mm-hmm. want to be anybody's hero. If being a healer means that by my sharing my story and how I've healed, it helps other people, 
I'm down for that. But I don't want that weird platform where people start to believe that my words matter more than something else that's in their gut or whatever. I want to empower people to learn to trust themselves and heal. And I think the trick is, like you said, you always want to stay connected to how humbling this is because like I said, people are going to, they're going to project that shit onto you. There's literally nothing you can do to avoid people giving that to you. It's whether you take the bait or not. Yep. In my coaching practice, I've written all the content over the last couple of years. I'm ecstatic to get this launched over the next couple of months. I'm already doing individual coaching now, life coaching, but Mm -hmm. I set it up where each client I can only work with in six month segments. Hmm. They come and work a specific program as we're investigating their story. At the end of that six months, there's a minimum 30 day break from client and coach Mm. Higher purpose is to say, you apply this last round, this Mm. last phase of the coaching yourself, but understand I did not do this work. It was my job. You paid me a fee to do something that I'm selling you. Mm -hmm. Make me a hero in any way Mm -hmm. belittles the work that you've done. They're giving away agency. Yeah. When you do your own work, you're able to step in and defend your younger self. You're able to go rescue your younger mm. self. You're ready to embrace your day as it is. It enables you to live authentically. If you're looking at another human and thinking, they did this, no one has that capacity. I right. had no idea how passionate I was about this. Apparently, that's very strong in me. <laughs> it comes from a very innocent yeah. 25-year-old in me who thought that my counselor had all the answers yes. while I was paying him $200 an hour. That's where it's just like, I don't ever want to do that to someone. Yeah. Well, I'm curious how the term wounded healer strikes you. Also a compliment. I don't think you can help someone heal if you don't know your own. I posted recently, one of the best things you can ask your therapist when interviewing yes. is, do you see a therapist? Yes, that's exactly what I say. I'm like, never trust a therapist who doesn't go to therapy. <laughs> Would you believe that there were two therapists who just really had a strong reaction to that went on and on and saying, that is a boundary violation for me and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you're, you're missing an opportunity nope. to tell your client that you're human. You do not have to tell them who that therapist is and why you go. But right. it's a yes or no question and your response, I mean, is clearly letting the cat out of the bag that you mm-hmm. are very threatened by someone having the confidence and security to ask if you've also done the work you're promoting. I just think that that's really important, you know, to understand that someone can't offer you something that they've not walked through themselves. And this is something that one of the reasons that I have the podcast is for that therapist who thinks that they don't need help themselves, get the fuck out of their office. They are not safe. They just aren't safe. You're making me angry in such a good way. (laughs) I want to go fight somebody now, but I'm supposed to go to yoga. (laughs) Should have got a boxing class. (laughs) What we're talking about is so senseless. I think that's what we're getting. But when people, there are so many people that respond to some of my messages and they're like, that is awful that this happened to you. And I'm like, and it's still happening. And it's still happening. Very common. This is not some really unique thing that happened to me because I lived in Nashville. Like this is very common, especially within the Christian culture. This stuff is still going on on a daily basis. It's built in to your survival in that culture. Right. Right. Well, speaking of mad, I'm mad at the clock because we are coming close to the end of the hour and 
I think I could talk to you forever and ever and ever, but want to respect your time. So just in closing, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really want to make sure that you say to listeners? If something I said strikes a chord in you, please pay attention to whatever that is for you. We often think that someone else's story, we either think that we're being compassionate for them or we're impacted by something they're said. And we often forget it's because it identifies or mirrors something very specific in us. So just think about if there's something that was said that strikes a chord, be curious about what that mirrors in your story. Yeah. And there is help. There's always help. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, then you obviously have access to all of the hundred plus people who've been interviewed here who are in healing type professions. Obviously, you can go to Nate's website. You know, we're at Head Heart. We're happy to help people out. So there is help. There is support. You are not alone. Well, Nate, you are a treasure. And I am just, I'm so grateful that you, you answered my, my, I slipped into your DMs and you answered. (laughs) And then that we, we had this conversation. It just like, like I said, you made me angry in all the right ways and makes me even more fired up about all the work that needs to be done in, in my profession. Good. That's kind of anger. Right. Well, thank you. I just appreciate you so much. Yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Nate, for being on the podcast today. I so appreciated that conversation. If you'd like to learn more information about Nate, we have all of his stuff and the ways you can get connected with him on our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.